Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Good morning, everyone. My heart is beating out of my chest right now, just so everyone knows how good I am at public speaking. Um, So today I'm going to be reading Mark 1, 2 through uh, 13. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After he comes, the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came to Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals and angels attended him. Well, we're in week two of our journey through the Gospel of Mark, and um, we, we see today <clears throat> Mark's setup for Jesus' ministry. Uh, Mark is a kind of a, a montage writer. I feel like he writes the way, you know, you'd see a montage like in one of the Rocky movies. It's like flashing all these different scenes, moving super fast. And unlike the other Gospels, uh, Mark spends very little time in the setup to Jesus' ministry. Starting in verse 14 on through the whole rest of the book, it's just Jesus' ministry. So what we have today is kind of unique. It's these three little moments in the life of Jesus that or all the setup that Mark decided he wanted to give us for Jesus's ministry. Um, and I think in these three little setup sections, are, they get at some of the most profound and significant foundations of what it means to follow the King, which is what we're, we're calling this series, this series through the, the, the Gospel of Mark as an invitation for all of us to follow the King. Uh, the three invitations uh, I, I have for us to consider uh, in these three little setup uh, moments one is, I, I try to make them all start with R. It was, it's a little clunky, but I try, you know, we're Baptists, so everything's got to be in alliteration. Uh, the first one is get ready through repentance, receive the baptism blessing, and be refined in the wilderness. Um, so these, these, are, these are big invitations. They're, they're ways that you could summarize like the main work, the main thing that we do that we are pressing into as Jesus followers. So let me pray for us uh, as we get in. Father God, we just invite you into this place. Holy Spirit, come, open our hearts to your word. Uh, give us soft hearts. Uh, give us open ears to hear what you would have us say. Father, would, would these invitations be, uh, be good news to us as we behold Jesus, the Messiah? In his name, amen. So to begin, the first thing 
that Mark decides to say, he, he sets it up, let me read in verse one, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then the first thing that he says is a, is a prophecy. It says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized him by him in the Jordan River. So it's significant to me that Mark opens up his gospel and says, get ready for some good news. That's what the gospel is. See, here is the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. And then the first thing that he shares is this call to repentance, which I'm sure is exactly what you all woke up hoping we talk about. You woke up and poured your coffee and you're like, I hope we talk about repentance at church today. It's kind of a scary church word. Uh, maybe it's got a, some negative pr press or you know, it's associated with the fire and brimstone. You know, preachers repent or die or whatever. But I think when you look at the reality of scripture, it's very closely associated with good news. Repentance and good news are always hand in hand. And it's because it's, according to scripture, repentance is the way back to God, the way back in home with God. We, talked, we spent a whole teaching on this uh, back in November, uh, kind of riffing on the, the, the parable of the prodigal son, uh, being, a, being an image, a story, uh, an example of, of repentance, where the son begins life with his father, the son of a rich man, entitled to all the blessings and wealth of his father, but then he rejects a relationship with his father, saying, I'd rather have your stuff. I just want your money, not a relationship with you. Give me your money so I can do whatever I want to do. And it, of course, goes badly, and the son finds him with the pigs, desperate and hungry. And repentance then requires us, uh, like the prodigal son, covered in pig slop and filth, to come home to himself, be aware of sin, how it requires us, repentance requires us to see how we've sinned against God and others and to own it and to turn from it. So John the Baptist shows up on the scene to get people ready for Jesus. And the way to get ready for Jesus, the way to receive Jesus as the Messiah, as the, the good news that he is, is to repent of our sins. And the Old Testament quotation here sheds some light on why this repentance is good news. The quotation is actually a mashup of a few Old Testament passages, uh, which I kind of got lost in studying this week. We're just going to look at one closely. Uh, the first part, if you'll know, you, you might have little footnotes in your Bible. Verse 2 comes mostly actually from Malachi chapter 3, uh, verse 1. And I'm gonna, let me read it a little bit in context. It says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And so this verse that is quoted here in our text in Mark is, is like a hyperlink back to this prophecy from Malachi. And we see in the, in the full prophecy, there's this good news and bad news. 
The good news is that God is coming back. What, what Israel, his people has, have longed for will come back. And Malachi was the last prophet. His writings are the last, thing, last things that, God, that God's people heard before there were 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence, nothing from God. With no updates, no instruction, And into these 400 years of silence, John the Baptist shows up and says, the wait is over. The 400 years of silence are done. God is coming back to Israel. Can you just imagine the the good news of that? Waiting and waiting. Think of the 100 or so generations who were born, lived, and died in that place of silence, that window of silence, wondering if they'd been abandoned, if if God was going to fulfill his promises. So Mark is saying, this is great news. But as we read, there's bad news. Who can endure the day of the Lord's coming? Who can stand in front of this holy God? He's saying the thing you most want, the return of God to his people is also terrifying because the Lord is holy and anyone with sin and impurity cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. You know, imagine a story where a rightful king returns to his kingdom. And what would a rightful king do with the rebels, the people who betrayed him or resisted his reign and rule? He would do away with them. He would refine his kingdom. A divided kingdom cannot stand. So a good king would do away with rebellion and treachery so it can flourish. And so John is preparing people for the king preparing people for this Messiah because he wants the return of the king, the return of God to his people to be good news and not scary news. And the way to be able to see the glory of the Lord returning to the land as a good thing, to receive the king as good news is to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. John's invitation to baptism would have been mind-blowing, would have been jarring to his Jewish hearers, his original audience, because baptism back then was typically something that had several different uses, but one of them uh, most predominantly was uh, for non-Jewish people wanting to join God's people. If someone who wasn't born Jewish but wanted to become part of Yahweh's people, there was a huge process to go through, and it involved baptism. And so John is being shocking. He's calling Jews in the Judean countryside, people of Jerusalem, the holy city, to be baptized. What is he saying there? He's saying it's not good enough to bank on your birth and the Hebrew people, your ethnicity, for the return of the king to be good news. You must personally repent, turn from sinful ways of being, and prepare for the Lord. Make yourself receptive to the king because he will return with a refining fire and purifying soap. Otherwise, you will be burnt away like impurities in gold. The prodigal son, he had to see the horror of what he had done to his father, rejecting the father for his stuff and had to turn and leave the pig slops to come back to his home. For me, one of the most life-changing moments of repentance was when I was in college deep in the pursuit to become a doctor. And being a doctor is a, is a great thing. It was not sinful to be a doctor. Uh, but, you know, the way you can love and serve people as a physician and show people, you know, the great physician is beautiful. Uh, but that was not why I was in it. 
The, 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 the moment of like realizing my pig slaps for me was when I saw that my plan to become a doctor was really a plan to try to figure out how to be a Christian without needing God. How it allowed me to be king, reject God as king, and just kind of use him as like a side benefit, uh, keep him on the margins. Because I can meet the three core needs of, of what it means to be a human in, in this strategy I had to become a doctor. I'd have security because I could make plenty of money. I wouldn't need to depend on God for anything. I'd have approval uh, from others because, you know, if you're at a wedding reception and you're like, what do you do? I'm a doctor. It's like, oh, it's, it's impressive and respectable. And I'd have significance because, you know, I, could, I, had, I would have skills. I could fix people's problem. I could make bad things go away, and I know I was making a difference. Now, wanting those things, security, approval, significance, none, none of that is, is wrong, but it, I was just trying to get it on my own terms. All those things are fully met in God. I, I knew Jesus had died for my sins, you know, the overt, obvious sins, but that's different than, than repentance of turning home to the Father to receive him as king, to depend on him, trust fall into his arms. And so for me at that moment, repentance looked like a major career trajectory change, uh, one that brought a lot of ambiguity and financial instability and caused me to feel desperate to follow my king more closely and dependently. What about you? Hear the invitation to, to prepare for Jesus, to, to make way for Jesus to be the king and to see that as good news by repenting of your sins. What ways have you rejected God's reign and rule in order to try to meet your needs in your own way. So if you're here today and you identify as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, what, what might it be in your life that you need to turn from because it's crowding out your ability to follow the king? Are, are there parts of your life that you're holding back from surrender to the king? Like, I'll give you my Sunday mornings, but don't touch my sexuality or my money or what, whatever it might be. What would it look like for you practically to release your grip over that thing? And if you're here today, not sure where you stand with Jesus, consider that the people in your life, the broken relationships in your life that you've hurt, the ways that you fought and scraped to try to meet your needs, bring us to a place to repent, to turn from that way of life the stressful, striving, anxious way of trying to meet our needs on our own and to come to the king. And that brings us to the, the second invitation, which is receive the baptism blessing. Start in verse seven. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. You gotta love John the Baptist, how he's so intense, calling all these Jewish people to do this, you know, this ritual that was reserved for non-Jewish people. Uh, so he, he, he's very bold, calls people to own their sin and repent of it. But he's also very humble. He's very clear. He's very aware of like where he fits in the hierarchy and that he's a hype man. He's a preparer of the way. He's not worthy to untie the king's sandals. He's saying there's going to be something very, very different about the baptism that he's offering and the baptism that Jesus is going to bring. One is water. The other 
is the very presence of the triune God, God's empowering presence, the Holy Spirit. One way to summarize these differences in baptism, John's baptism was about turning from sin. Jesus's baptism was about receiving the very presence of God. The focus of John's message is preparation, turning from our old ways of being. Jesus's baptism is, is in the positive sense of moving towards the very presence of God, being immersed in the life of the triune God. Consider what Peter said uh, right after Pentecost, the first time he preached the gospel right after Pentecost. He preaches the gospel, and, and, uh, and then this is what the response is in Acts 2, 37, 38. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here you see Jesus' baptism in action. The first move is repentance, like what, what John was calling people to. And then it's to be baptized into what? The name of Jesus Christ. This isn't like the Bible giving pastors a script for like what to say when they're in the tub with someone, though it is helpful. Like you could say these things. The, the, the idea of being baptized into someone's name meant, in that culture meant being of the same family, like immersed in the same identity, entering into the very same identity of Jesus through repentance and baptism is then the means through which our sins are forgiven. And the whole act of baptism that we celebrated last week displays the gospel and our identity with Jesus. That's why we have this beautiful, huge, deep tub to fully immerse people in. When someone is baptized, they display the gospel and how they, they go under the water. That, that is displaying that they're identifying with Jesus in his death and burial. And then they come out of the water as a new, symbolizing a new creation, an identity who is now rooted in Jesus, the beloved of God. And the very presence, the promised Holy Spirit comes to us and dwells in us as new creations. Not necessarily right at the, you know, the moment of baptism, but this is a, a gift of salvation when we are made new in the Spirit. This answers the question, why was Jesus baptized? If the baptism it was for the forgiveness of sins, did Jesus have any sin? No. So why was Jesus baptized? Because we see in, this, in Jesus being baptized, we see the shift from, from baptism being just about repentance, just about turning from something, to now baptism being about the Holy Spirit, about the presence of God. As Jesus is baptized, we, we see God's empowering presence, the Holy Spirit coming to humanity. And guys, what we see here in this moment in Jesus's life on earth, in Jesus's baptism, is just one of the most beautiful, staggering glories of the gospel. We see the inner workings of our triune God. We see the nature of the relationship between the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me read verse 10 and 11. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus comes out of the water and Mark says the heavens tore open. It's a very 
rare word, that, that word translated tore open is, is not used very many times. He could have used the word open, just simply open. But instead he says the heavens were torn. That word that in Greek translated here, uh, tear or tore, is used, uh, one commentator said, only in cataclysmic demonstrations of God's power. <laughs> I love that term, cataclysmic demonstrations. So it's used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament to describe what happened to the Red Sea when Moses and the Israelites were trapped, said that Red Sea was torn open to make a way on dry land. It's used in Zechariah to describe the apocalyptic splitting of the Mount of Olives on the ultimate day of the Lord. And in another one of Mark's brilliant literary moves, Mark uses the same verb at the end of the book when Jesus dies on the cross and it says, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was what? torn in two from top to bottom. What separated God and man has been ripped wide open. Scripture is showing us something beautiful about the heart of God towards people. It's like Mark is saying God's love for Jesus and his people can't be held back. It just bursts out of the heavens, ripping a hole between heaven and earth. God the Father sees the Son and is so full of heaven, or so full of love that the heavens are torn up and the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit, comes down and rests on the Son. And God the Father, like an embarrassingly proud father, just bursts forth in a blessing that is at once both so simple and so unfathomably deep. The blessing that speaks to three of our deepest questions, the deepest needs that each one of us, I think, seeks to answer struggling to find security and comfort, we ask, will I, will I have enough? Will, will I be cared for? And God, what does God say? You are mine. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are safe and secure as my child. We seek approval from outside of ourselves, asking, what do you think of me? Am I lovable? Am I worth loving? And God of the universe says, yes. You are my child and I love you. And we wonder, do we have any value or significance? We ask the question, how am I doing in life? And God says, I'm pleased with you. You're doing a good job. This fatherly blessing over Jesus the Son speaks to the three core needs we all have as humans, three core needs that Jesus as fully human had himself. And the fatherly blessing, we have security because we are the son and daughter of the king of the God of the universe. We have approval because he loves us. We have significance because he's pleased with us. And you'll notice as I've meditated on scripture in my own life, that these are the same core needs that I was trying to meet by becoming a doctor. And if you were to go back and read Genesis 3, the account of the first sin, you'd see Adam and Eve. There's three reasons why they eat the fruit. And it's these three core needs they're trying to meet apart from God. And as a thought exercise, if you're looking for a fun time this week, I'd invite you to consider every sin in your life ultimately being trying to meet one of these three core needs apart from God. Having the need is not sin. Meeting it apart from God is where sin comes into the picture. And we see that in receiving the baptism blessing, all our needs are met with the overflowing love of the Trinity. All our deepest needs are met. 
Now, here's a hard question. What has Jesus done in his ministry up until this point? Nothing. This is before he's done any miracles, preached any sermons, cast out any demons, died on the cross. Here at the beginning of his ministry, he hears this affirmation, this blessing, this benediction from the Father over his life based on who he is. N.T. Wright says it like this uh, in his little commentary on the Gospel of Mark, which is out on our book table. The whole Christian gospel could be summed up in this point. When the living God looks at us, at every baptized and believing Christian, he says to us what he said to Jesus on that day. He sees us not as we are in ourselves, but as we are in Jesus Christ. How does this come about? It will take the whole story, particularly Jesus's death and resurrection to explain. But this is what the Christian gospel is all about. When it comes to following the king, it means we set up our lives to receive and live in this baptism blessing, to allow this blessing that God speaks over us in Christ to be the, the reality, to be the most true thing about us. Repentance from sin is something that happens before baptism. It's a requirement for, for baptism to be brought into life with God. Like the prodigal son, he returns from the pig slop, comes home to his father, and what does the father do? He embraces him. But sometimes I wonder if, if we as church people, sometimes we, we, we can stop at John the Baptist's baptism instead of Jesus' baptism. Now, to be clear, the call to repentance is crucial, immovable. We, we don't get God without it. But what is it meant to do? Is it to make us feel guilty and bad about ourselves the rest of our lives? No, it's meant to prepare us for Jesus's baptism, the Holy Spirit, fatherly blessing coming on us. And so sometimes I wonder if we get stuck focusing on our sin and we fail to receive the blessing that we have in Christ. Years ago, I counseled a guy in my church who'd come to me because of a porn addiction. Uh, his porn addiction had ended his relationship with uh, the, the girl he wanted to marry that he was dating when, when it, he lost the mic. Oh, it's back. And so we, we sat down uh, at, at the church and started talking. But instead of talking about his porn addiction head on, we just started walking through his story from the earliest memories up to the present. And he was a church kid through and through, born and raised at the church, all his life, youth group, mission trips, Christian college, all of that. But the way he talked about it was one of burden and his, so much of his language was laced with self-disgust. It was like his defining narrative it was like, God is good and I am bad. And I just kind of feel bad about myself until I die and go to, go to heaven. And after walking through his story for probably four or five hours over the course of a few sessions, I finally asked him, what is your Christian testimony? And like, without hesitating, he's like, oh, my Christian testimony is one of guilt. And we just kind of looked at each other. It was quiet for a minute. And I said, friend, that is decidedly not a Christian testimony. It was pretty awkward. He just kind of blinked at me and we, we ended the session. He was living in John the Baptist baptism. 
He felt the weight of his sin and guilt. He would repent, but he hadn't met God as loving father through Jesus and experienced the, the whole point of forgiveness, which is that we get God, that we're covered in Christ's righteousness and God's favor. He came back for another session and was like, I was pretty mad at you last week. I was like, are you inferring what I think you're inferring? But I realized I've never actually experienced God's favor through grace because of Christ. That God delights in me because of Jesus. For him coming home to this baptism of the Holy Spirit in Jesus, the very presence of the triune God, where God our Father speaks this blessing of security, approval, delight, and significance over his life. It changed him. It changes, it will change any of us. It wasn't, you know, like a silver, it wasn't like overnight or whatever, but he kicked his porn addiction. He married the girl. They have three kids now. It's beautiful. Continuing to serve, sharing this good news of grace with, with others. The life of following the king is not marked by just feeling guilty our whole lives and then dying. The life of following the king is marked by the Holy Spirit inside of us by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We cry out, Abba, Father, to a God who looks on us in love and says, you're mine, you're my child, and I love you, and I'm pleased with you. Have you heard God speak that over your life? Do you believe God speaks that over your life? What, what is more real to you, this, this baptism blessing of God's delight and approval and ownership of you? Or the shoulds and oughts, the, the guilty church person way of life where you feel like God's always just a little bit frustrated with you, putting up with you, wishing you were further along, that there's a future version of yourself that God will then finally love and delight in if you could get there. But friend, hear the invitation to follow the king into this blessing of baptism. For a while, the lock screen on my phone was a picture of Johnny, my son, when he was two years old, sitting on the toilet. You know, it's like from here up. Uh, we had just potty trained him. He's our first kid, our oldest. And he had this, you know, proud smile on his face. And I, and I as, a, as a dad, first time potty training a kid, was just amazed at this little boy. <laughs> and so thankful I'd never have to change his diapers again. I had that picture on my phone because I was overwhelmed by delight in my son learning this new life skill. I wasn't like, come on, kid. Like, why can't you drive a stick yet? You can't mow the lawn yet. Like, get, get it together. I was just through the roof, delighted at every successful potty attempt, overjoyed at his little life blossoming, excited for what he was going to do next. That is the heart of God towards you in Christ. We have this blessing from our Abba Father over our life, and it's the foundation. Like Jesus, uh, it was the foundation for his ministry. It was the setup for his ministry. And, it like, and it's the same for us, the foundation for all we do. And guys, when this blessing doesn't define our lives, all kinds of brokenness and dysfunction happens, broken relationships. If I don't feel secure as God's son, I'm gonna hoard and self-protect and work too hard to make money that I will make, maybe make me feel safer. 
I'll stay away from relationships. If I don't believe God approves of me, then I'll be a spineless people pleaser, just contorting myself to try to get others' approval instead of living in the approval I already have from God the Father. If I don't believe that he's pleased with me, then I'll run myself into the ground, working, serving, doing things, hoping that finally then, if I accomplish that, then I'll feel worthy and significant. Which part of this blessing is hardest for you to believe? What, what habits in your life make it hard to live in this reality? What habits help you live into this reality that Jesus has purchased for us in the gospel? For me, if I dial, follow the news too closely, I get scared and I wanna go buy a farm and start like an off-grid commune uh, because I'm scared the civilization will collapse or whatever. That doesn't help me live into the security I have as a son of God. For me, practicing Sabbath, where 24 hours I don't accomplish anything, and I just rest and delight in who God is, helps me rehearse the truth of what, what is true of me in the gospel. There's six days to work, but can I carve out one to just remember that I'm loved not for what I do or accomplish? Now, what happens after this keystone moment in Jesus's life? He's baptized, he gets this beautiful blessing, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and then a beautiful palace appears on a hill, and Jesus just lives in luxury for all the rest of his days. No, that's not it, look at verse 12. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. This is the third invitation to be refined in the wilderness. This shows us something crucial about what it means to follow King Jesus, something crucial about how God operates, interacts with us as our Father. And the way Mark writes this, he's making a very clear point that after receiving this blessing at once, immediately Jesus was thrust into the fray. The blessing of Jesus' baptism was meant to be an immovable foundation not to just bask in luxury, but to join God and bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, fighting evil, resisting temptation. And listen, if we follow the king, we too will be led into the wilderness. Maybe not literally, but to be a Jesus follower means that we will have wilderness seasons where it feels like we're wandering alone in the desert, feeling barraged by temptation to meet our needs apart from God, feeling led by the Spirit to be alone and just em embrace the, the refining fire of being alone before God without any distraction or busyness to cover us up and to do, to do some work, to let the Holy Spirit be a refining fire. So just consider this progression, what it means to follow the King. We repent of our sin, we turn. We receive the, the baptism blessing, this unbelievable affection, belonging and security and approval and significance from the Father. And then we follow the King into the wilderness. We go to battle with the enemy. And it's not because God is mean. In God's economy, suffering, wilderness seasons of life serve a very specific purpose. James 1 would say it like this, 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Have you ever been around someone who like hasn't suffered that much in life? And you're just kind of like, oh, <laughs> you know, come back to me after college, you know, <laughs> and, uh, because God it uses trials and temptations of many kinds to make us complete, lacking nothing. It is the path to maturity. The enemy seeks to hurt us and destroy, but this is the goodness of God. He takes the enemy's efforts to destroy us. And when we suffer with God as our father under that blessing, then the enemy's efforts backfire. And God redeems them to make us mature, lacking nothing, more resilient. And so some of us here, I would guess, are in seasons of wilderness. Friend, see your king going before you into the wilderness, into the lonely places, into the, the place of testing and breaking. See the way God's work, God works, how he attended to Jesus. The angels attended him. God was attending to Jesus even in the wilderness and he will attend to you even as the Holy Spirit makes you mature, lacking nothing. It was a time of refining for Jesus, preparing him for the ministry that we're gonna spend the rest of the year looking at and God will do the same for you. He will take you into these refining periods and he will, he will break you so that he can mend you back in beautiful powerful ways and use you to bring the kingdom in ways you never thought possible. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we praise you for this word that we see you speaking over your son, Jesus, and we praise you for just the glorious gospel that uh, allows us to partake in this life with you and the Holy Spirit. Father, would you uh, be with us now as we reflect on what uh, your word is revealed in the life of our king. Father, I pray that wherever we are, we'd, we'd hear this invitation uh, to turn from our sin, to receive your fatherly blessing, and to stand firm in the wilderness knowing that we're following our king and that you will be faithful to do what you said you'll do in our suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.